The topic is the mad monarch or the crazy king. Now, before we talk about this today, Beverly has a message for you, and I'd like you to welcome her today. In the August edition of National Geographic, there is an excellent article entitled, The Heavy Cost of Fat. Americans enjoy one of the best lifestyles on earth. Our food is plentiful, our work is automated, our leisure is effortless, and it's killing us. The US Center for Disease Control and Prevention reports that obesity rates for Americans rose a staggering 57% between 1991 and 99. Perhaps our main concern at the moment is the problem of obesity and its impact on our children. The US government estimates that 30% of the nation's kids are either overweight or on their way to being too heavy. Being overweight gives us the risk of heart disease, type 2 diabetes, and a number of types of cancer. How did Americans get so fat? Firstly, we are obviously eating more than our bodies need. If you eat out a lot, you will have noticed that over the years, the portions are getting bigger and bigger, aren't they? Another problem that parents face is the average child in the US watches nearly 10,000 commercials a year touting food and drinks. What can parents do to help their young children avoid obesity? Dr. Caroline Sederquist, an expert on weight management, gives us some suggestions. One, don't think diet, think healthy lifestyle. Two, don't use food as a reward or punishment. Three, Parents need to teach by example. Do as I do always works better than do as I say. Four, learn to slow down at meals and enjoy this family time together. Five, try various activities until you find one your family likes the best. And number six, if you are concerned about the weight of your child, then consult your doctor, end of quote. Another good suggestion for new parents is to train young children to eat only at mealtimes, not just when they feel like it, which is often all the time. This will help to teach them self-control, which in turn will lessen their chances of becoming obese. For a couple of minutes, let's look at the opposite problem to obesity. It was announced a while ago that Mary-Kate, one half of the famous TV Olsen twins, had to have treatment for an eating disorder. She is only one of thousands of young women and some young men who battle anorexia or bulimia. People with anorexia or bulimia hide it well. Many go to elaborate lengths to disguise their problem. This alarming increase in eating disorders has come about largely through movies and TV programs that too often portray the most popular girls as skinny, 
and with their bones protruding. Another problem is that many of us mothers are often on some kind of a diet or other, and this in turn can teach our daughters dissatisfaction with their body image. What can we do? Firstly, we need to model a healthy lifestyle ourselves. And secondly, we need to love our children unconditionally. Let's encourage them to do their very best, but don't compare them with others. Instead, let's teach them what the Bible says in Genesis 1.27. We were made in the image of God. Therefore, we are all special. And I love Psalm 139 where it says, For you, O God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And dear friends, the Bible teaches us we are unique and beautiful, each in our own way. Let's never forget it. When I was in Baghdad a number of years ago, I could not help but notice the great pictures around the city. Now, Baghdad is a big, big city. And there were these big, big posters of Saddam Hussein as the leader of his people, hopefully the leader of the world. And standing next to him in the big pictures was Nebuchadnezzar. They were standing side by side, Saddam in front, of course, and just standing at his shoulder, Nebuchadnezzar. Jim, Joyce, Niergaard, and I, when we used to talk about Saddam and say things that were somewhat inflammatory, not wishing to be tortured, we would call him Neo-Neb. Neo being, of course, the Neo-Babylonian Empire, the New Babylonian Empire. Neo-Neb was the new Nebuchadnezzar. He saw himself as the new Nebuchadnezzar. Today I'm going to talk about the mad monarch or the crazy king. 50 or 60 miles, 100 kilometers south of Baghdad on the river Euphrates is the fabulous city of Babylon. I got permission to go to Babylon and when we went to Babylon, just a little group of us, Jim, Joyce, Buddy, a Texas cameraman, and our driver who was a member of our church there, and I, just a little group of us, we went and explored the old city of Babylon. One place that took my imagination was the Summer Palace. There is this vast mound. It's called Tel Babil. It's a series, really, of, of large hills. And the place is just made up of bricks. Been lying there for thousands of years. Still some of the walls are standing. As we climbed up the hill, Tel Babil, we were carrying a large tripod. If you've seen our tripod case, 
It's about the size of a bazooka. Uh, fortunately, I wasn't carrying it. Jim Neergaard was carrying the bazooka. But when we got up to the top of the hill, we were surprised by the activity in the sky. We were surrounded by helicopters, gunships. And we thought, so what? After all, this is Iraq. And then a group of soldiers came puffing up the hill, running, puffing. And uh, the captain came to me, and in English he said, what on earth are you doing? Where we were standing, we were overlooking a, a road, good road. I guess it was 100 yards from us. So a steep hill. We looked over the, the brow of the hill. There was the road at the bottom of the hill. And uh, we took out our papers. We said we have permission to be here. The papers have been directed, uh, have been given to us by the Iraqi government. And these papers are signed by the director of antiquities at the Baghdad Museum. So he looked at the papers. Then we got him to look through the television camera so he could see what we were taking pictures of. We said, why all the activity? He said, did you see that line of cars that just went by? We said, yes. That was our president. That was Saddam Hussein. Nobody is allowed here, let alone foreigners. Certainly not Americans. <laughs> you know, of course we wouldn't have thought of doing a thing like this because we are Christians. We could have stopped all this fighting just in a moment if Jim had had that bazooka. <laughs> but of course, we don't think like this. The thought has only just flashed in my mind. Think of the money it would have saved and the lives. People told us, you know, we've read in the newspapers, nobody could get near him. Well, we folks got right next to him over a hill with a big thing that looked like a bazooka. <laughs> sort of funny, isn't it? But as we went up the hill, this was amazing. It was to me, it gave me goosebumps. As we climbed up the hill, you've got holes everywhere in the old palace. Big rooms and dens. And as we climbed up the hill, all of a sudden, we surprised a little jackal. He came bounding out of the ruins of Nebuchadnezzar's summer palace. I felt awed because I saw prophecy being fulfilled. I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 13, please. Isaiah, chapter 13. We're going to read a text here that talks about the old city of Babylon. Isaiah chapter 13. I'm glad to have a church here today where people bring their Bibles. At this stage, before you read the text with me, I want you to hold up your Bible. Would you do that? Hold it up high. Want everybody to see that I've got a church here where people don't go by just emotions, they go by the word. I want you to say these words, this is my Bible. This is, my Bible. This is God's word. This is God's word. God, has a message for me today. God has a message for me today. This message will make me a better person. And give me everlasting life. 
I now open my heart to receive God's Word. In Jesus' name, Jesus name. Amen. amen. Would you please notice Isaiah 13, verse 15. Babylon. Have you got it? Isaiah 13, verse 19. Babylon, the jewel of the kingdoms, the glory of the Babylonians' pride, will be overthrown by God like Sodom and Gomorrah. She will never be inhabited or lived in through all generations. No Arab will pitch his tent there. No shepherd will rest his flocks there. Just pause for a moment. This was written 700 B.C. How did the prophet know that the Arabs were going to be there? Looking down thousands of years, it said the Arabs are not going to pitch their tents there. And it's true, they don't like going inside the city. Verse 21, but desert creatures will lie there. Jackals will fill her houses. There the owls will dwell, and there the wild goats will leap about. Hyenas will howl in her strongholds, jackals in her luxurious palaces. Her time is at hand, and her days will not be prolonged. Every word of the prophecy came to pass. One of the reasons that I am a believer in God and a believer in the Bible it's because I have seen the word of God come to pass. Even down to the little detail of a little jackal that runs out of Nebuchadnezzar's summer palace. When I was there, my dear friends, I felt a sense of wonder and amazement because I thought this is where the great Nebuchadnezzar sat upon his throne and ruled the then known world. I picked up some bricks that I took home with me. On the bricks are the strange wedge-shaped letters that we call cuneiform. And on literally hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of bricks, they have found the words Nebuchadnezzar built this. I thought to myself, I'm in the place where the great Nebuchadnezzar sat upon his throne. I'm in the place where the young Jewish prophet Daniel came and spoke to the king. I'm also in the place where the king went mad for seven long years. And so my topic today is the mad monarch or the crazy king. And this is the fourth in our series on the book of Daniel. And I'd like you to turn now to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel, the fourth chapter. Considered by many scholars to be the most remarkable chapter in the Bible. Daniel chapter 4. There's nothing like it. Daniel chapter 4, verse 1 and onwards. Daniel chapter 4, verse 1 and onwards. King Nebuchadnezzar. This is a chapter, before you go any further, look at me. This is a chapter that is not written by a prophet or by a sage or by a seer. This is a chapter that is written by a pagan king like Saddam Hussein. So look at it. King Nebuchadnezzar. 
to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world. May you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting, an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Does anybody here remember the days when once upon a time we used to have old-fashioned testimony meetings? Can anybody remember this? People had a testimony to give. And in a meeting like this, we would give opportunity. Somebody would get up and say, God, this week worked a great miracle in my life. Something happened to me. And people would go on and on and they would tell their testimonies. A testimony has an irresistible force. This chapter is a testimony meeting. It is the testimony of King Nebuchadnezzar who was called in scripture the hammer of the earth because he broke the whole wide world down. He was the most feared despot just like Saddam Hussein. And in this chapter, not written by the prophet Daniel, but written by Nebuchadnezzar, he gives his testimony concerning the most high God. What an amazing story. That's why scholars say it could be the most amazing chapter in the whole of the Bible. It is so unexpected. Would you please read on with me, my dear friends? Verse 4, Daniel 4 and verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. Before we go any further into the dream, I want you to notice the words, he was contented and prosperous. That's the state we would all be in, would we not? We would all like to be contented and prosperous. But may I tell you, that there is no more perilous time that can come to the human soul when we are contented and prosperous. Because that's when we become self-centered and turn from God. That is why the prince of preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, said these words. Our best days are often our worst days. And in the darkness we see stars that we could never see in the light. We all pray that we will be prosperous and contented. Often it's not a good prayer. Because when we are prosperous and contented, our hearts are inclined to turn from God. Somebody else said, 
constant sunshine makes a desert. And when the sun is always shining, we forget God. And this is exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And so God sent him a dream to wake him up. Would you notice, please, as we read on in this fascinating chapter. Verse 6 of Daniel 4, So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, or the wise men, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is the dream, interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the earth. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. Is it not instructive to notice that the wise men were simply charlatans? the magicians, the enchanters, the astrologers. Of course, astrology is condemned in the Bible. There is a curse upon the practice of consulting the heavens. Is it not amazing that when you open the newspapers, you read their astrological charts? Nothing to do with astronomy when the Bible has placed a curse upon astrology? And so these men, as they were in the days of Daniel chapter 2, are shown to be complete charlatans and frauds. Why did the king call them? I don't know. Because they were a bunch of losers. But possibly he had to go through formal protocol. But in the end, my friend, God's man came into the presence of the king. And the wonderful thing is this. Wherever you go in this world, there is God's man. He may be in a wicked king's court, but there he is God's man. God has his man wherever that man needs to be to fulfill the purpose of God. And Daniel was God's man. So the king blurts out, they're both still young men. He said, I saw this magnificent tree the ancients believed that the earth was perfectly flat. And so this tree could be seen not around the world, but right across the world because it was such a vast tree. And this tree brought blessing to the whole of the human race. But something happened to the tree. Would you please notice it? Verse 13. 
In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked and there before me was a messenger or a watchman, a holy one coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers or watchmen the holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. You notice it talks about these messengers or angels or watchmen. I thought as I prepared this talk this week of the great truth that God is watching us. Have you ever thought about that? He's watching us here in church today. He's watching our minds because he can even watch the mind. He's watching us in private. God is watching us. And God had been watching the king for many, many, many years. And God knew that the king in his prosperity was in a most perilous condition because the king was attributing his success to his own ability and taking the glory that belongs to God. And so what happens is the tree is chopped down, but the roots are left in the earth. Then seven times pass by. And the mind of man goes, the mind of man goes, but the mind of an animal comes. The person goes out in the field, he acts as an animal because he has become an animal. You notice it says in the text, God sets up kings. He puts down kings. He's in charge. Let me tell everybody something here. We sometimes think the great powerful men, the president or the prime minister, that they're running the show. Don't you believe it? They only think they are. Standing somewhere in the shadows is God. There have been some remarkable things that have happened in this world that have made a tremendous impression upon me. Years ago, I visited the Berlin Wall. 
In those days, it was most difficult to go into the eastern sector. So I went into eastern Berlin and East Germany, and I thought to myself, the communists are so strong, they're so mighty, they have so many planes and bombs. Nothing will tear down this wall. Can I tell you something? America didn't tear down the wall. Neither did Great Britain. Neither did the French. The Berlin Wall collapsed not because armies marched. Now, I know people want to take glory. They say, well, we spent them to death. Let us not take the glory that belongs to God. God cast down the Berlin Wall because there were millions of people who needed to hear the gospel. God was in charge. God sets up kings and he puts down kings. Not by might nor by power. I think of the Second World War. You know the story of how the British troops were forced by the Germans to the beaches of Dunkirk. It appeared as though the British army was going to be destroyed. And if the British army had been destroyed on that occasion, freedom would have died around the world because only Britain at that time was standing against the Nazis. All of Europe had fallen. What was the great issue? Freedom. And when... Hitler, with his superior forces, had the British bottled up. His general said, strike because we have them. Hitler would not give the command. Hitler would not give the command. And the British were taken off, with many of the French, off the beaches of Dunkirk, and they got back to Britain. They hardly lost a man. And people say, why did not Hitler give the command? because he wasn't in control. God sets up kings, he puts down kings. In the Battle of Britain, that moves my heart still. When the Nazis were trying to bomb Britain into submission and Britain stood alone against the Nazis. Remember this? She stood alone. And Churchill, who was raised up by God, no doubt about it, stood in the command center with the air marshal and watched the girls as they moved the sticks that showed where the planes were and showed wave after wave of Stukas and other bombers coming over London. And Churchill turned to the commanding officer and he said, Marshal, what are our defenses? How many have we got in reserve? He said, Prime Minister, we have none in reserve. This is our last stand. And so the battle went on in the skies over England. And then the Germans returned, those that survived the Spitfires. And then Churchill and the rest stood there and they waited because they had, you know, invented radar. And so they had something ahead of the Nazis. They knew when they were coming. And so they watched and they waited and the young men of 18 and 19 stood beside their spitfires waiting for the last battle and they waited all through the afternoon and all through the night and the next day and they never came back. You say, well, that was just good luck. It wasn't good luck. It was the hand of God. He sets up kings. 
He overthrows kings. I want you to know this, that when Jesus was on the lake of Galilee, and there he was in the midst of that awful storm, Jesus got up in the lake, uh, got up on the lake in the boat, and he said to the elements, Peace, be still. And the storm ceased. And the disciples said, Who is this man? Even the winds and the waves obey him. I say, Who is this man? He commands the winds, he commands the waves, he commands the prime minister, he commands the generals, he commands the president of the United States. He is in charge because he is the sovereign Lord. Let us never forget that God is in charge of the affairs of this world and nothing happens without his direct permission because he is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. Please read on with me. And we will notice what happened. Verse 24, this is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High. This is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O King, Be pleased to accept my advice, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. Look at the man of God here. Arnold Schwarzenegger recently made a statement that offended many people. He referred to some of his political opponents by calling them girly men. (laughs) Whether that is true or not, I am not here to say. But I will tell you one thing. Daniel was not a girly man. Daniel, the man of God, was tactful, respectful, courteous, but courageous and truthful. He was prepared to put his life on the line for truth. And so he looks the most powerful man in the world in the eye. He says, let my counsel be accepted to you. Break off your sins. Did you know in the New Testament, baptism is mentioned around six times, but repentance around 70 times. Jesus said, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And so the man of God says, there's only one thing that can save you, Nebuchadnezzar, and that is if you break off your sins and you show mercy to the poor. But the monarch's heart had become filled with pride and arrogance. Would you read on, please? The monarch's heart was filled with pride and arrogance. Verse 28, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. 12 months later, what does that show you? One month later, what does it show you? It shows you the mercy of God. You and I may have 12 months. 
Did you know it's a great old poem which says there's a line that is crossed by rejecting the Lord where the call of the Spirit is lost as you travel along with the pleasure-mad throng. Have you counted? Have you counted the cost? You and I can go on and sin year after year after year, but there comes a decree by the watchers, by the holy men, by the angels, as the Hebrew says, by the watchmen. And God says, mark out that line. If he continues on and that's sin, then his probation will surely close and judgment will come. When you read the story of the king, there is no acknowledgement of God prior to this event. His life was obsessed with power and wealth. All of us, in many ways, are little Nebuchadnezzars. I tell you, my friend, uh, that is the most popular religion in America. It is the religion, not of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it is the religion of Nebuchadnezzar. We pride ourselves on our capitalism. I watched a young woman on one of the cable stations who works in Wall Street. She says, what I want to do is drive them into the ground and crush them and win. That is the thing to do. That is the spirit of Antichrist. Remember... Pride turned an angel into a devil just as it turned this man into a, into a beast. Pride turned this wonderful angel, Lucifer, into the devil with the mind of an animal. The spirit of our age may be summed up in these words. Get all you can can all you get, and then sit on the lid. Pride and arrogance are the worst of sins. It made a king a madman, as it made an angel a devil. The symptoms of pride, dare I say them to you. The symptoms of our pride, dare I say these things to you. On the national level, where our pride is so great, we desire to force our way upon the whole world. What pride and arrogance that we think that we can force our way by force of arms upon the whole world to give them freedom or democracy. People have to choose that. You can't force it. But our national pride is great. Then on the professional, on the personal level, my level and yours, we despise others of different races and cultures because we think we are better. Many of us are plain racists and we look down upon people because they've got different colored skin. And this racism exists among white people and brown people and black people. It is an awful thing. Our pride is shown when we refuse to acknowledge our faults. There are many of us who cannot say, I'm sorry, because we're little Nebuchadnezzars. 
Some of us come from cultures where we've been brought up and taught, if you admit you're wrong, you somehow diminish your masculinity. What nonsense. What garbage. What insensitivity. What insanity. The mark of a man or a woman is when we're wrong is to say, I'm sorry. We have pride of race, pride of opinion, pride of position, pride of religion. I thank God I'm not like other people. I'm a member of the remnant church, even though I'm mean and nasty. So I can judge them. I can judge the whole world. But don't you criticize me, because I'm better. Little Nebuchadnezzar's. But the prophet says, judgment is coming. And notice what happens. Verse 28, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, the mercy of God, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I built as the royal residence for by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Look at me and I'll tell you the difference between the true church and a cult. When the true church puts on a big conference, it puts it on to glorify Christ. But when a cult puts on a big conference, it puts it on to glorify the organization. That's the spirit of Nebuchadnezzar. Is not this? I've seen the tablets. Now the tablets in archaeology are not a little thing that you take. A tablet is an inscription. It's big as that. Or as big as this. But these tablets were written in cuneiform, the wedge-shaped letters. In the uh, British Museum, I've seen Nebuchadnezzar's building list, where he enumerates all the buildings. I've seen them in the once great Baghdad Museum also, where Nebuchadnezzar said, look what I've done, look what I've done, look how great I am. Now, if you belong to a church that teaches you that you're somehow filled with a power of your own devising, that's a cult, that's of the devil. The religion that teaches people on Sunday or the Sabbath, you're okay, I'm okay, we're all great, that slick super salesmanship is of the devil. That's the religion of Babylon. But the Bible calls for repentance of our sins. And the Bible says after 12 months, the king had not changed his heart because he knew better. He wasn't a parson to take counsel. He knew better. 12 months later, he said, look at this great Babylon. Verse 31, the words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from 
people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. This disease, I'm told by medical authorities, does have a name, it's called lycanthropy. When a person thinks he is an animal, this man had the mind of an animal. He went stark, raving mad, and the people took him out and put him in the paddock in the field. So much for greatness. That was his spider hole. That was his spider hole, like Saddam's spider hole. You folks listening to me? Ma'am, sitting there, you listening to me? Listening here in church? You come to church to get a blessing. Could you imagine it? In Babylon, as people went about their business, as they went about Babylon, look over a fence and they'd say, what on earth is that? Who's the man with the long hair? Who's the man with the hair that's long and dirty and matted and his fingernails are like talons and his body is filthy and he's down on the ground and he's grunting and he's eating the stuff the animals eat. And they say, that's our king. The Bible tells us this happened because he did not acknowledge God. I want to tell you folks something. Listen to this. I want to say a few words about insanity. Listen to this. Here it is. Man without God is an insane beast, wild, lawless, violent, and senseless. This tree does not only represent the king personally, it represents Babylon, the mighty, the world without God. When you turn on television, aren't you tempted on occasion to say, hey, the world's gone crazy? This is crazy. Here's a man who's on trial, and it takes five years for him even to get the trial going, sort of. And then they get a crooked lawyer, and uh, it's as plain as anything that he's guilty, but he gets off. So another murderer is on the street. And people say, you know, this is crazy. Our society is crazy. And then they read of, of husbands who kill their wives, and kill their babies. People say, what's happened? Is the world gone mad? And then people say, why, but why do the authorities do these things? Why do they allow same-sex marriages? We know it's, it's wrong in the Bible, but there are preachers who are getting ordained as bishops and they're practicing homosexuals. And people say, well, well, you know, we've got to be tolerant. I want to tell you what it is. It's insanity. It's madness. And let me tell you folks something. Listen, listen. Man without God is an insane beast. Russia, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, one of the greatest Christians of the 20th century, who was put in the Galagakic Palago and tortured and all of those terrible things, when he got out and saw the collapse of the Soviet Union and saw the poverty and the crime and the drunkenness, Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, man has forgotten God. 
and all these things that come upon us. You and I forget God at the risk of our sanity. That's why every person ought to go to church. A lot of folks don't go to church anymore. A lot of folks don't keep the Sabbath anymore. A lot of folks don't care. If a man's got a, something he thinks is more important than the Sabbath, then he won't even keep the Sabbath because he says, well, I, I can rationalize this. This is why people are falling apart. This is why the world has gone mad. I want you to know this. One theologian said, when the holy day becomes the day of man, Society and humanity wither away, and the demons rule. The demons are ruling. They're ruling in America. They're ruling in the world. What's the solution? I know this is the time when we're all going to get very much caught up in politics. I want to give you my own personal little situation appraisal. I'm not at all concerned. People say, oh, but if so-and-so gets in. Listen, God's in charge. If the other side gets in, they'll do just the same. It's not going to make, you say it's going to make a world of difference. <laughs> As I had the song, when will we ever learn? The solution is not the Democratic Party. It's not the Republican Party. It's not the Greenies. It's the preaching of the gospel. That's why I'm glad I'm not a politician. It's God and God alone. Read on with me, please. Verse 34. At the end of the, that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. That's the way to sanity. That's the way to peace. That's the way to happiness, is to acknowledge God and lift up your eyes. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. You know what I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to sitting down for a million years or two with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is going to be in heaven. How amazing. What does this tell me? No one's hopeless. Don't give up on anybody, even the worst dictator. Nothing's impossible. And this man got his sanity back when he lifted up his eyes to heaven. What about you? Do you read your Bible every day? I can't be bothered. I don't, don't, don't. Well, you're going insane if you're not. Do you go to church? Well, I don't go to church on vacation. I, I, well, I got a business deal. I, I, you're going the way of insanity. 
What about the commandment? Oh, well, I, you know, nobody keeps them anymore. What about lying and cheating? Well, we all do that. You're crazy. You're insane if you think like that. But sanity comes when we lift up our eyes to God and acknowledge him as the creator of the universe and make him first and last and best in everything. And that's why our Lord, who was instrumental in Nebuchadnezzar's conversion, said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Amen. Let us kneel. And Father, we thank you today for these people who are here in church because they're honoring you. Help us to know, dear Father, that if God can save a Nebuchadnezzar, he can save any man, any woman, that that person will lift up his eyes to heaven. We thank you for the story of Nebuchadnezzar who departed from his Babylonian philosophy and became Daniel's brother, his blood brother. We thank you that one day, by the grace of God, when we walk the streets of gold, we will see walking down the streets of the New Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, saved by grace. Teach us today Teach us to understand that pride is the never-failing vice of fools and pride and arrogance, whether at a national level, at a church level, at an ecclesiastical level, at a personal level, we take glory in ourselves instead of glory in God is the essence and the core of the religion of Antichrist. Dear Father, help us not to try to be humble because you don't get humble, as you know, Lord. You taught us this. You don't get humble by saying, today I'm going to be humble. But humility comes when we have a right relationship with you. And when we lift up our eyes to you and acknowledge you, then we will have a good estimation of what we are worth in the sight of God, and that's all eternity. But we'll also realize that we are simply dust and ashes, and we need to walk softly and humbly with our God. Teach us, our Father, to lift up our eyes every day. As we're praying in our beautiful church, how many today would like to say, I want to lift up my eyes to the God of heaven in my Bible study, in my personal worship, in my Sabbath attendance. I want to acknowledge God as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Would you raise your hand if that's your prayer today? I worship you today. Can you raise your hand and say that? I worship you today. 
I acknowledge you today. I want you to be first in my life today. I want to break off my sins. I want to show mercy to the poor. I want to be a child of God. Bless these people here today, Lord, with the sanity that comes from knowing you. So we thank you. We thank you for Nebuchadnezzar who came from being a beast to being God's child. Thank you for Nebuchadnezzar and thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.